So if you were gonna if you were gonna point just before we start looking at the sources themselves, you're gonna point to what allows people to change. How do if, let's say you're gonna take the I holidays very seriously. You're gonna, this is the year, right? You're gonna go in and you're gonna do it like it's meant to be done. What is the way in which you are going to change yourself? How might you be able to affect a change in yourself? How do you come out the other end? Tell your friends that you can't back down. Oh, what do you tell them? I mean, you try not to declare about, but you say you're committed to doing something differently. Okay, so you, you tell someone, right? This is sort of like, you know, uh, whatever, the Al-Khayt 1.0. It's like, I'm not reading it out of the monster, but I'm going to say to everybody how I'm going to be different. I'm going to express. Right, there's actually a debate in the, um, in the early rabbinic uh, um, debates about whether or not you're supposed to spell out all of your sins. So are you supposed to just list them out or not? Um, there's, some, there's a school that says you shouldn't list them. Um, but you're gonna, I'm going to tell you what all my commitments are. Okay, so I'm going to use words. I'm going to use other people to help me in that. How else might you make a real change in your life? Yeah. Change your environment. I yell at my kids, I send my kids out to boarding school. No, I set myself up. But, but you know, ch change those things that trigger bad behavior. Okay, so what is your environment, right? Just sort of being aware and conscious of your environment that's, uh, that's not allowing you to change. And then, Mishanemako, Mishanemazal, right? The one who changes their place changes their luck. It's actually interesting. How you translate Mazal is interesting, as we'll see. Um, but okay, one idea is that you would change something about your environment. Yeah. Be willing, um, be, be open with yourself and be willing to be uncomfortable. Uh-huh, okay, open and uncomfortable. Can you just spell out a little bit more about how that well, might play out? Change. You want to get out of your comfort zone. So if you're used to doing something a certain way all the time and you want to do it differently or be different about that, then expect that there might be some discomfort and work through that. Good, okay, be prepared for the discomfort that real change involves because if it was, if you were so used to it, it wouldn't really be that much change. Um, okay, yeah. Um, I was gonna say writing, it kind of goes on along with that, but like writing why you want to change and how you want to change and kind of allowing yourself to have that space of like... Great, great, okay, so you write it down, maybe it's a test, sort of you're, you're giving testi testimony to what, what your vision is going to be and instead of telling it something, you're going to write it down. Other thoughts? Yeah, Taylor. Making like small, concrete steps that you can take. Ah, okay. I'm going to do it incrementally, right? I'm going to take small steps. You can't change all at once, right? So I'm going to take small steps, and eventually, I'm going to be the person that I want to be, right? It's a journey. It's going to take me a while. I have to be forgiving to myself. I'm not going to do it all at once. Okay, great. Yeah, Elaine. Um... Time. Use time differently to make some space in your day or week for something different to happen. Okay, so you're going to use time to your advantage as opposed to your disadvantage. You're going to sort of block off some aspect of, of, the, of the calendar that's going to be your, your focus. Uh, um, do you see that linked to what Taylor said about small steps? Or not necessarily? Yeah, okay, so maybe that's how you sort of block out those steps. Yeah. And similarly to those two ideas, um, we, I, I teach about um, setting smart goals, so they're specific, measurable, attainable, reachable, and timely. So that kind of is both of those elements um, of making concrete, of making them concrete, so that we are accountable. 
Specific, measurable, what? Attainable. Attainable. Realistic and timely. Aha, great. Okay, smart. That's good. Machzer also was originally an acronym, but nobody could remember what it stood for. Um, so we moved on. Um, okay, so um, we could probably spend the whole session just on those goals. Okay, any other way in which you could, uh, you would imagine you really doing the change that you want to uh, accomplish? The opposite of telling or writing, silence, listening. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Silence or listening. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that goes together. You can't really listen unless you're silent. Great. Okay. And, and how to just say how that would affect change in you? What are you listening it for? It depends on what other people would say. Mm -hmm. It opens up the possibilities of ways of changing that wouldn't be there otherwise. Uh-huh. Great. You don't have all the answers. You, you need to let something in before you can make, make that change. Um, great. Yeah. yeah. Maybe this is almost too basic, but setting an intention, like being really intentional about all your actions. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, sort of mindful. Would you relate that to telling someone? Is, is this intentional or? It's more of a personal action. Uh-huh. Okay. Great. Is it going to be intentional? Can we take one more? Bill? Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, instead of taking small steps, I would say if you take large steps right away and you fake it until you make it. Okay. Maybe that's related to the, the, the discomfort. I think this, what we see here is this is a fundamental debate. How do you change yourself? Do you change yourself incrementally? And when, over the long period, you look back, you see that you are not the same person that you were? Or do you make this gigantic leap all at once, right? Maybe it's the changing your environment, right? Um, maybe it's, it's some other way of affecting that intense, all of a sudden way of doing it. Right? And we could think about the way in which actually we are living out both of those models in this time period as well. Is the process of tshuva, did it begin at the beginning of Elul and is making its way through Shemini Atzeret? Or is it we're all gearing up for Yom Kippur and you start off one person and you walk out another person and it's a 24-hour sort of leap? Um, it's different ways in which, you can, in which you can sort of imagine that. So we're going to look at the, the ways in which um, Hazal thought about this question uh, and hopefully offer some new windows into how we think about it for our own chuba process. Okay, now, we've been using the language of change, and we're going to come back um, to, the, to that, uh, that concept of change. But I also want to introduce another term as the, sh as the sheets are going around, which is um, destiny. Right? You can change yourself to experience a different future. But if you sort of flip the lens around, if you have a certain future, how do you alter that future? That's what the change is going to affect, right? In other words, if my future is determined, how can I undo that determined future and put myself in a new space that is unchartered, right? That's another way of looking at what it means to change. Um, to change the result of your own actions is, um, is, is another way of, of, of taking a look at that. And the way this is... Um, uh, one way this is expressed is on the concept of where your destiny is your zardin. Okay, you got it's, it's you know it's New York, so you got to use like uh, different language for zardin. This zardin is not your. Um, I'm not supposed to bang. Um, <laughs> zardin is not your um, you know your decree that is handed over by the court judge, but rather. Um, Think of Zardin as your future, as your fate, as your destiny, okay? Amar Rabbi Yehuda Bar Shalom B'Shem Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer said, um, 
Here are three ways, if you want to change things, here are three ways to change your faith. Tshuva, repentance, tfila, prayer, and tzedakah, charity. Those of you who use the Koran Machser, which I highly recommend, it has there, it's a great little vort where it says, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said that all of those words are mistranslated. He goes on and gives another set of, of uh, so take my translation with a grain of salt. But tshuva, some form of repentance, or tefillah, meaning is this an or or an and, right? Um, uh, or prayer, and prayer, um, and tzedakah, tzedakah we, we were often taught, first we were taught that tzedakah meant charity. Then we were taught that tzedakah meant righteousness. Now I'm going to tell you that tzedakah means charity. <laughs> so it means charity. In this context, what they mean when they mean tzedakah is giving money to the poor. Okay? These are three ways in which you can alter your faith. Now, whether altering your faith is the same as changing, um, we're going to see. But, uh, but that's sort of better illustrated in the next text. So this text that we just looked at is, has been made famous, popularized by Unitana Tokev, which we all just recited on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, but it comes it's quite slightly so. different. So here in the yeah. instead of Ma'avirin, that's where I think it's Good, right. So there's some, the verb it's changes. It's stronger here, right? Good, yeah. Mivatlin is to completely obliterate. Ma is to pass over. There's a whole Ro'a, set of things you could say about that, but we're not going to say it. But basically, chuva, tefillah, and sedaka is one approach. Now let's look at the, dip, the other approach, which may be a more core understanding of how do you change your destiny, Right? Um, and that's in, in this amazing midra- uh, um, whatever, uh, I don't know if it's Midrash or not, but uh, the statement by Rabbi Yitzchak, okay? Um, uh, on, the, on the bottom page one. There are four things that rip up the gzardin, the decree, the destiny of a person, right? Any person here. What are they? Eluhain, Tzedakah, Tzedakah, so far those are familiar, right? Tzedakah is Tzedakah. Tzedakah is associated with tefillah. To scream out is the same as to pray in many rabbinic uh, understandings. Shinui Hashem, v'shinui ma'aseh. Okay? There is changing your name and changing your deed. You might associate shinui ma'aseh with tshuva, right? So if you have tshuva, tefillah, and tzedakah, you might have Shinui Maaset, Tzaka, and Sadaka. So three out of the four are covered here by Rabbi Yitzchak. But you have another one which is Shinui Shein, changing your name. Okay? We're going to explore that um, uh, right now. So they bring proof text for each of these uh, in turn. Let's look at the one for Shinui Hashem. So, sorry, before we look at the proof text, we're going to do one last one at the bottom of the page, Vayeshomrim, and there are some who say, Af Shinui Makom. Richard was the, was the, those who said, right? Even, even changing a place is another category. So according to this text, Rabbi Yitzhak gives you four. There's another opinion that gives you a fifth way of changing your destiny, right? Tzedakah, charity, tzedakah, prayer, changing your name, changing your actions, and changing your place. Okay, those are the five ways in which you can do that. Now let's look a little bit uh, deeper at Shinui Hashem, because this is really what I want to focus on as we explore this, um, this concept. I think Shinui Masa, you know, the changing of your deeds, we've spent a lot of time, you might have even heard a sermon about that. Chuva, right? Something that comes up around this time. But Shinui Hashem, changing your name, 
I think is a less um, discussed but much more expedient way of changing your future, right? Now, I should say here that, uh, again, are these, um, these are four things. Is it pick, pick one of the four, right? This year, I don't feel like changing my deeds, so I'm going to change my name, right? What's the, what do you think changing your name effects? Why is changing your name worth anything in this idea of ripping up your destiny? Ripping up your Gazar did. Yeah. Well, at least in ancient days, a name was very closely identified with your persona. Today, we, we, we tend to think of it lightly, but wasn't the case that by it, 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 giving you another name when you were born, for example, can change your, de can change your destiny from death to life? Exactly, right. Giving another name if you were in danger, whether at birth, or during some sickness, yeah? You're in danger of dying. If you're in danger of dying, right? You might know somebody who adopted a middle name of Chaim, right? This is a common Jewish practice where you're going to cheat death because, after all, the angel of death is out looking for Michael. He's not looking for Chaim, right? He shows up at, my, at Chaim's door. Oh, no, Michael's not here anymore, right? But that's part of what it is, right? Which is to say, Shinui shame is not changing anything core about you on a surface level here, right? There's some almost magical element to it, which is to say, if my name changes, my persona is just not the same as it was, and therefore I'm going to have a different future. There was that future. You change your place, you change your mazal. Your mazal is your astronomically determined future. Right? Like, ain't mazal be Israel. There's no, no such thing for, not, not that there's no luck, but luck is really the stars, right? So that the mazal means if you change your place, you change what's been destined for you, similarly with your name. And we're not going to look at it in that way, but I do want to say that in the context of this Gemara, it's very probable that all you had to do to rip up your future was to become someone else by adopting a new name. Okay? Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would say also, maybe in ancient times, when life was, relatively speaking, maybe a, a, a little bit simpler, your name was basically the most important, was one of your most valuable uh, possessions. So if somebody can change their name, they're basically, that's maybe an old I can choose, like, I'm going to give up this thing, which is so important to me, to basically change myself. I mean, in many ways, it's almost seen as better than Chuma. It's, you know, I'm not just going to not do this, this anymore. I'm going to even give up my name. That's how dedicated I am to this. Ah, okay, so your name is your identity in some very deep and core way. And if you're willing to trade in that asset, um, then you actually are going to become uh, someone who deserves a different future because you're sort of setting that aside. Setting that aside. You know, when you think of Yaakov wrestling the angel, right, um, you know, in the middle of the night, and he asks the angel, or whatever, it's not, not clear it's an angel, but the, the, the being that he wrestles, um, and he asks the, the, angel, the angel for his name, right? The angel doesn't say the name, uh, because that's, a, to some extent, um, giving over of some power, right? Instead, the angel changes Jacob's name, which is, in some ways, a reversal of the, of the power um, to Israel. But, but the name is very, very significant. So let's look at the, at the proof text for Shinui shame here. How do I know that changing your name is going to affect a different future? So I'm right in the middle paragraph on page one, still changing a name. As it says, Dichtiv, Sarai Ishtecha, Sarai, your wife, don't call her Sarai, Ki Sarashima, for her name is Sarah. Right? Uchtiv, Uberachti Ota, Vegamnatati Mimenelecha Ben. 
I will bless her, and I will give you a son from her. Right? So what's the, how do we know, how is Sarah functioning as the proof that changing your name changes your destiny? What happened? <coughs> yep. Correct, right? Sarai never gives birth to a child, but Sarah gives birth to a child, right? So what is the connection between Sarai and Sarah? That's part of the way I want to explore this. this what does it mean to change your name? The proof is Sarah was a new, I don't know, had a new future that it resulted in a new child, sort of the greatest symbol of what it could mean to, to change your course. Um, not only a child, but an entire people. And that was accomplished not because Sarai did anything about her actions, but because she changed her name. Or rather, her name was changed by God. Okay, so Sarai becomes Sarah, and as a result, um, everything is different. Now let's just look one other proof text before we get into the context here. Uh, on the bottom of page one, there are those who say even changing your place affects this ripping up of your destiny. Avram is the model of the person who changes his place. What does it mean to change your place? It doesn't mean I used to sit in this corner of the shoal and now I'm going to sit in this corner of the shoal. I changed my mucko. No. It means I'm going to smash all my father's idols, get my family on, you know, wrapped up with me and tra- transverse the, the known world to, uh, to follow God to the land that I will show you. Um, and as a result, in the old place, Avram would not have become anything in terms of a nation. In the new place, Avram becomes uh, a, a great nation, right? So we have here the categories of change are embodied in the biblical categories of Avram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah. So my question is, or you have a question before my question. question. So in these proof texts, people don't just decide to change their name or their place. God tells them to do that, and they are their destiny is different because they're following God's command. Isn't that different than I say I'm going to change my, my name from Susan to Sarah? Ah, okay, good. How much power do we have in affecting this change if the biblical model is one that is affected by God? Um, we're going to see how, the, um, how that comes through in, um, in, in rabbinic thought, but that is a very core question. But it's good to note that they, they are acted upon here, not sort of taking, taking proactive uh, steps to change their name. My question is, if you were going to t- prove to me that changing your name changes your destiny, who would you have chosen? You're happy with, with Sarah? And Avram. Ah, so why Sarah and not Avram? Why is Avram associated with changing his place and Sarah associated with changing her name? After all, first of all, you could have had Avram for both of them, right? They're not afraid to favor the man, okay? And second of all, um, they both go through a name change. Right? So it is, there, there was a real option here. What is it about Sarai to Sarah that is preferable or that teaches us something additional um, that's distinct from just choosing Avram to Abraham? You're going to say, David? No. Okay. <laughs> the first moment when she, when she arrives on the scene, she's defined as Akhara. We're introduced to her as that's a defining feature of who she is. She can't give birth. 
this is an actual moment of, of character change on, on from the from beginning to end. The whole story is about that. Ah, okay, so what you're saying is, how would you break on the continuum of small steps to large steps? You're rating Sarah as she's identified as an Akara, as someone who can't give birth, and she ends up being someone who is mainly known for giving birth, and as a result, she flips over to be something com complete. Her identity is totally different from what it used to be. Am I characterizing that right or no? Her mazel changed. I don't know if she herself changed, but her uh -huh. mazel changed. Uh -huh. Okay, so that's, I think, one of, the, one of the core questions is, how much does she change if her future changes? And is, that, and is the, the extent to which she changed different from the extent to which Avram changed? Yeah. But that's not, that type of change is not even the type of change someone would be able to achieve by doing Shabbat. It sounds like it's some characteristic that you're born with that you just can't change. The characteristic? Of uh, uh -huh. And therefore, changing your name is more powerful. Well, therefore, why are you using this as the pretext for it? Because it seems like it seems like it seems like something like Abraham. Okay, that change, that's something you can do, but um, you can't go from barren to not. It seems like uh -huh. that change. So that it seems it just seems like so. Why would you use the text? Yeah. Okay. So, so, and and maybe again. The sort of radical change that Sarah, Sarai to Sarah experiences is one that is, I don't know, distinct from the one that Avram goes through, where you might be able to imagine yourself going through that, as opposed to a total, uh, you know, sort of shift of your, how you were introduced, a total uh, change in the way that you were, you were known up until that point. Um, I just want to look, yeah, Ben, go ahead. I was thinking, like, well, I mean, Abraham has a son. I mean, Hagar is. It, seems, it doesn't seem like today we say, like, we're pregnant, but it doesn't seem to have been the model back then. We don't say that anymore. <laughs> That's not true. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. In other words, Abraham has a different destiny as, as it relates to, to children, and as a result, Sarah experiences that in a, in a way that Abraham did, didn't. But could you. Is the change from Abraham to Abraham also. A radical break, or but in a, on a different measure on a different um, scale than children, let's say. Um, that's I think what's what's worth um, exploring. Okay, let's let's just take a look um, while we can at the uh, flip over to page three. It's going to get to your point about how much of this are we doing on our own um, versus how much of this do we do. Because God does it. So what's fascinating about the way Rabbi Yitzchak's statement in the, in the Talmud works is that there is nothing really in that statement about the four ways in which you change your destiny, maybe five if you include changing your place, that has anything to do with behavior per se. But when the Rambam, I mean, except for Shinui Masa, which is sort of itself a behavior um, uh, category, maybe that's the one that, the exception that proves the rule, which is that the rule is if you change your place and are still acting in the same way, you're going to be ripping up your future and having a new future anyways. The Rambam does something fairly radical uh, with that text, which is to say he codifies it under the laws of tshuva, right? That is to say, instead of this being a magical formula that will get you the intended result, having nothing to do with how you behave in the world, the Rambam puts us in the category of how do you do tshuva? Here are a bunch of suggested ways to do tshuva. 
Right? So under the general category of tshuva, the Rambam now includes umishaneshima. So I'm on the top of page three. Another way to do tshuva, that is a, another way to change your behavior is you change your name. So again, just to, to highlight the way the Rambam changed this was, it wasn't behavior was a separate category and name was a separate category. Name is subsumed under behavior. A way to change your behavior is to change your name. Right? The Rambam doesn't like, presumably, the magic formula way of becoming a new, having a new future. The Rambam likes you change the way you are in the world and that's going to um, change your future. And one way you can change the way you are in the world is changing your name. And how does he ex- explain it here? Mishaneshem al-Klomar, that is to say, Ani acher, ve'eni otanamasi. I am totally different. I am a different person. And I am not the person who did those deeds. Right? I am a different person. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking that, you know, in the same way that changing your name could be gender changing your deeds, the opposite could be true. Like, when you change your deeds, people start calling you by a different thing. So mm. it's sort of confusing what the title is, but, like, if you are uneducated and you suddenly, you know, decide to go for your doctorate, when you get your math, suddenly you have an extra name. And you, I don't know. To use an example that's unfamiliar in the Jewish community. Um, yeah, so, right, so, so maybe the, some of the ways in which your name is the reflection of your behavior is your behavior changes, then you acquire a new name, as it were. Um, and that's part of what's going on here. And, and then maybe that's a, a nice way of summing up what the Rambam is, is expressing here. But, no, yeah, um, but, but notice here that Ani um, Acher, I am totally different. I am not the same person who did all those deeds. That is a very, that, I would put that in the large steps category, not the small steps category, right? This is a radical move here as it relates to your own identity. I am a different person. Now this is taken even further um, by, uh, um, by Soloveitchik in the next text. And just listen to how he explains this law in the Rambam. Uh, repentance, according to the halachic view, is an act of creation, self-creation. The severing of one's psychic identity with one's previous I, possessor of a new consciousness, a new heart and spirit, different desires, longings, goals, this is the meaning of that repentance compounded of regret over the past and resolve for the future. Right? The Rav here is saying that the... Um, the large step, the radical break approach to how you're going to uh, go through the process of repentance, that is how you do it, right? You are going to have a complete and total break with the previous eye. It's a psychic shift. It's very, very radical, right? That's how you make change in yourself. And name is just an expression of, of sort of that larger concept of making an extreme shift. Right? And this is also given expression in the, uh, in, in the following text, the Musser text, uh, in, in number six below on, on page three. If, uh, this is for the... Uh, <laughs> See, if you're a small steps person, you're not going to like this one. If someone has a trafe kitchen and wants to repent and make it kosher, he might say, how can I repent all at once and break all my dishes? It will cost a great deal of money. I'll do it gradually. I'll break one dish and replace it with a kosher one. Later, I'll replace a second dish, and later a third, and later a fourth, until it is completed. Such a person would be considered a fool. 
For as soon as the first kosher dish mixes with the rest, it's all trait. Now you can consult Ethan to see if that's actually the case. But anyway, to get the point, he can live long as Methuselah, breaking one dish and replacing it, breaking one dish and replacing it, they will be trait forever. If he wants to repent, he must break all the dishes at once and buy entirely new ones. So how do you relate to this model of tshuva? Right? I'm not that same person. I'm going to have a psychic break with who I was before. I'm going to break all the dishes at once. Because if you break a dish one at a time, you're not really changing anything. Yeah, Josh. Well, you can't do it every year. <laughs> you can't do it every year. Good, okay. You go crazy, right. Is this a once-in-a-lifetime event, as it were? Uh, you know, it's a crazy time in your life, and you, I don't know, like a one-time shot. You get like a one Right, and again, to use the name metaphor, these characters whose name was changed, this is not like the name changed every year. Um, this is the, the Hail Mary, as it were. Um, We're always scared because it changed once. Good. Okay, so if you're going to go for it, you're going to recognize that this is a uh, once-in-a-lifetime way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this matters, but I'm reading it not so much as a giant step. It is radical, but almost like preparing the way for what may be small steps. But the first radical step is sort of cleaning out the shelf. Uh-huh. That's not to say you're yet all the way there. I think that can make it possible. Uh, even that isn't enough. Forward, uh-huh. uh, and, and now make a new life. So it's the first big step in, all, like in a journey that continues beyond that, and the work isn't over when you've smashed all the dishes, right. as it were. Okay, yeah, Ben. Um, so Dr. Conrad, Dr. Con- um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious, what is the practical step or practical thing that you're doing in any of these? So from Rambam to Soloveitchik, so even, even the, the last one, the, he uses the metaphor of breaking all the dishes, what does that actually mean for somebody? They say, okay, I want to do what Soloveitchik says and sever my psychic identity, and if there's a new heart and spirit. But what, what do I actually do? Because yeah. I'm not going to get a heart, tra- like a, it's not a heart transplant. Basically, psychic identity. What does this mean? Right. So I, I think that's an open question, which is not described here. Again, the Raman gives you an example of how that might be affected, which is to say you change your name. Now, again, using it through the lens of F, which is to say your name is your Mr. Bernstein. Your name is your identity. If all of a sudden your name was Mr. Abrams, you would be a totally different person in this understanding, right? Now, maybe that, the way we relate to our name, it doesn't have as deep uh, a sort of psychic um, resonance of, 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 you know, of that break. But uh, I think it's a reasonable question of, even if you wanted to, if I'm hearing you right, even if you wanted to go down this path, okay, like, I'm ready, sign me up. But how are you going to actually pull it off? Is it, is it going through Yom Kippur? Is that the way you're going to do it? Abby? Is there anything, though, about the hiding that happens when you change your name? Because it feels like you're going into the witness protection program. You're maybe validity. But and by the Raman putting this under the category of chuba, he's saying, no, it's an expression of changing your behavior, but you're not just sort of changing your name card and flipping it around. It's more intense. Rabbi Yitzchak, maybe not. 
Right? Rabbi Yitzchak, the origin of this, maybe it was as simple as changing your name without having anything to do with changing your behavior. Maybe he's forced to say that because changing your behavior, Shinui Masa, is a separate category. Right? So it may exclude. <laughs> like, why would you conflate them? You know, the Ramam is conflating them at the end of the day, but, but, may, but, but maybe that discomfort, um, and, and also maybe the resonance of the name having decreased over time may lead to that. So it seems more like cheating if you change your name, whereas in the ancient world, changing your name is like the biggest thing you could possibly do. Even, you wouldn't even think about it relating to your actions. Um, yeah, Eric. I don't know why I'm thinking about this this week, but what about atonement? What about the people who you've wronged? They don't get any benefit from your change your name. It seems awfully egocentric and, and, and not respectful of the rights of the community. <coughs> Yeah, great, great challenge to this model, which is to say, it's one thing to say, I didn't do all those things, right? I didn't do all those masim, but somebody did those masim. Those masim are out there. Those deeds have been done. And who's going to pay for them, right? Is there some general atonement that needs to happen, even if you were to escape it by saying, I'm not going to do that ever again, right? I'm, I'm a different person now. How do you deal with that? I think actually that's part of what Yom Kippur is dealing with which is to say there is the sinner and then there are the sins. And the sins need to be dealt with almost separately from the sinner. Yes, the sinner needs to repent, but there is some sense that not all sins can be taken care of, even if everybody was fully mindful. There's always going to be more sins in the world than repentant sinners. And how do we deal with a world that, that has those sort of excess sins? That's part of the cleansing operation that is associated with Yom Kippur. Probably not, we're like less sort of viscerally connected to, but that's part of what the temple service is about. It's just like a, we're wiping it all clean because there's some sins out there that need to be dealt with. Now, again, it's the wrong person. That may not help you either, but um, I think there's some recognition that, that you're calling to, which is the deeds are also part of this equation. And right now we're dealing with the future doer as opposed to the deeds. David. Yeah, I wanted to piggyback also on, on uh, what Abby said and, and um, go in a different direction. But first I want to say that I think the Rambam, in larger context, this is part of his greater polemic against astrology. It is clearly like the Ramam reads those Talmudic texts as part of a very strong Babylonian tradition of astrology, and where a person changes their name, they, they actually have a new chart for the moment of their new name, and when they change their place, they also have a new chart that's drawn up for the new place, so they literally have a new mazal. So he doesn't like that. So it's too deterministic for him. So that's one thing. The second thing is that I I, I feedback on Abby and also what Ben was saying. Psychologically, when you imagine yourself to be another person and either you're hiding, or even worse, even if others don't recognize you, you don't recognize yourself. And so I kind of have a, mm. a, like a question around the psychologically sound, you know, it's like it's one thing if somebody says, oh, you were Mr. Mercy, now you're Mr. Abrams. Right. But when you're looking in the mirror and you say, wow, they're all calling me Mr. Abrams, and I have no idea who that is, then you can be lost for a long time. Good. So there's some risk, what you're pointing to. There's some risk in this approach. Right? Which is to say, there is, um, there's a major identity, uh, um, uh, I don't know, confusion that's, that's possibly going to take place if you're going to go with the... Re- I mean, it may be appealing on some level. Like, let's say you really have these deeds that you cannot live down, and you just want to start all over again. Um, like the Count of Monte Cristo meets, you know, the, the, the monster, but, but ultimately, you're going to pay some price of that, you know, for that... Um, uh, and, and as a result, I think it's worth looking at the other model that Chazal puts forward here. And the other model, I want to argue, is Avram. We said, we've been basing this on Sarah, Sarah's change from Sarai to Sarah, 
But there's actually another uh, possible way to go here. And yeah, please. I gotta say, with Sarai and Sarah, there's no idea in the world that would say that Sarah did anything. We said, why are you using this as an example? Right. It's like all of a sudden God says to her, I'm going to allow you to have a child. She laughs. Her response is a giggle. Like, that's absurd. I'm 99. How can I have a child? It has nothing to do with Teshuvah. It has nothing to do with her repenting. You're expressing 100% Rabbi Yitzhak's approach. Rabbi Yitzhak's approach is to say, changing your name and changing your deeds are two separate categories. They both might work, but Sarah's name, Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, and as a result, she had a different future. It's not a deed, though. I understand. It's, it's that, that's exactly right. But what you're pointing to is the, the challenge to the Rambam supporters. Right? The, Rambam is, the Rambam supporters are saying, well... If you change your name, that's not that much. It has to be something about your deeds. But it's not a real faithful reading of this text, unless you're reading it because you're anti-polemics or whatever, or maybe you're just bothered by the fact that she did nothing of her own behavior to deserve a new future. And yet, the Ramam is uncomfortable with this idea of changing your name does it without any change in behavior. So you're just sort of giving strong expression to the idea that the Rambam is saying something radically different from what the original text was saying. The original text is saying, yeah, her name was changed and it's a different story for her, not because of her actions. Okay? But now what I want to look at is the idea... No, yeah. no, no, no. You're saying that we I want to hear change more. our name. It never occurred to her, oh, I want to be Sarah. Uh-huh. And she had nothing to do with this. Why do you put this in here? Well, I, I put nothing in there that uh, wasn't already in the Talmud, but, but I'm saying the Rambam, is, is, the Rambam is trying to teach us, if you want to change your behavior, one option is to change your name. What you're pointing to, and I think what, when you look at the source is, actually that's a conflation of two things. Changing your behavior is not the same as changing your name. In fact, changing your name was done to Sarah. wasn't even something that she did on her own. That's how radically different it is from the way the Rambam takes it. But when it comes to the Rambam, the Rambam... You can yell at him. But the Rambam is the one who says, I am not going to leave this as a separate category from deeds. I'm going to make it in the category of deeds because that's the community that I want to be speaking to. And I want to contrast that with... Good? I want to contrast that with the, the model of Avram. Avram and Avraham. If you look at the, at the top of page five, the very last page, this, I think, is a powerful model. Um, that is different from the Sarai Sarah. If you're just looking at the etymology here, what's the difference? <coughs> this is two models of name change, right? Sarai to Sarah, Avram to Abraham. What's the difference? Location. <coughs> okay, location, right? So one possible, one, yeah, what you want to say about that? One of the chains is at the end, and the other is in the middle. Okay, good. They both get haze. Haze. Yeah. Okay, they both get haze. That has. One's a replacement, the other's a little. Ah, one is a replacement, the hay replaces the yud, versus the hay, which is an addition. Okay? And I think that's part of what's going on here in this understanding of two models of change. Sarai and Sarah add up to three letters. The fundamental DNA of the name is different, right? But Avram is included in Avraham, right? Avram, the old person, is a subset of the new person. 
And this is summarized, I think, most beautifully in this very short pasuk from Divrei Amim. In the list of the chronology of, uh, uh, of the world, they have to tell you as an aside, Avram who Avraham. Right? They're listing all the names, and I'm going to tell you that Avram is Avraham. Not that Avram became Avraham, Avram is Avraham. And this is a different model of what it might mean to change. Right? Here the model is not the psychic break model, not the break all the dishes at once model. This is the model in which Avram remains a part of the new person. Your old identity is brought in full into your new identity. Or as the, um, as the Gemara says, I'm taking this, this verse and, and explaining it, Avram Abraham, he maintained his re- righteousness from beginning to end. Right? Mitzchilato sofo. From his beginning to his end, there was a part of him that remained the same. So he changed, but he didn't have a massive total change. Right? He didn't have a, a, a sort of, as we've been saying, a psychic break. Now, I think what's um, this same debate of how much of ourselves, our individual selves, or our communal selves are preserved when we go through a change is, uh, is preserved in a debate that actually calls upon this pasuk in the, in the Tosefta. But this will um, we'll close. If we have time, we'll do the, the crazy thing with Sarah's letter. But with this, we'll close. So look at the bottom of page three. Now you're going to recognize the beginning of this from the Haggadah. Some of you heard me teach this uh, in the context of Pesach. Um, but this is something that we associate with Pesach. But it's always worth looking to the holiday you're least thinking of in the holiday that you're in, because you'll be surprised. And we're just trying to shake it up a little bit here. So six months down the line, we're going to be saying this on Seder night. You should mention going out of Egypt at night. Rebbe Lazar ben says, I never understood what this was about until I heard the following drasha ben Zoma. So this is the introduction to this following debate, which I'm going to argue is the core distinction between whether you change fundamentally forever or whether you change incrementally. Okay? This verse is the, is the source of the debate. That you should remember that the day you left Egypt, all the days of your life. Remember, the Haggadah deals with this as well. How do I know that I'm supposed to say the, the story of the Exodus at night? Because it doesn't say the days of your life. It says all the days of your life. And if every word in the Torah is significant, then you have to do something with all the days of your life. All the days of your life can't mean the days of your life. What do I do with the word all? I make it the nights. So amazingly, the days of your life becomes the days and the nights of your life. Okay? That's Benzoma. Meaning, I have to mention Yitziat Mitzrayim also at night. But the Chachamim disagree. And I think in the Haggadah we don't realize this is an argument, but it is. The Chachamim Omrim, Yemecha Yecha Olamazeh, Kol Yemecha Yecha Limotei Mashiach. The Chachamim, the majority opinion says, Yemecha Yecha, the days of your life is actually this world. Kol Yemecha Yecha is the world to come. Okay? Now, that's where it ends in the Haggadah. But in this text, the, the argument goes further. This is a great, if you're on the debate team, you want these texts in your corner, okay? Benzoma comes back to the majority, right? Benzoma is arguing you should mention going out of Egypt at night. 
And the majority says, no, it's not about night. It's about the next world. Okay? And Badzoma says, <clears throat> but are we really going to talk about Exodus in the next world? Isn't it already written in Jeremiah, there is a time coming, declared Hashem, when it shall no more be said as Hashem lives, who brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, but rather as Hashem lives, who brought out and led the offspring of the house of Israel from the Northland. That is to say, in the future, according to Jeremiah, we won't be talking about the Exodus anymore. We're going to update that story with the most recent Exodus that God took us through, which is the non-Egypt Exodus, right? Okay? That's, that is to say, in the future time, when we all get redeemed, Egypt isn't the headline. You're not, talk, you're not having a Seder in the world to come. Okay? But the sages reply to Ben Zoma, is it, not that the exodus, it is not that the Exodus will be uprooted from its place. Rather, the Exodus will be appended to the kingdom. The kingdom will be central, and the Exodus from Egypt will be secondary. Right? That is to say, what is the comeback? How do you come back from a verse like that? How can you ever come back when it says, you specifically will not talk about Egypt in the world to come, right? In the next world, the redeemed world. Ah, oh, you know what? You're not mainly going to talk about Egypt, but you're not going to not talk about Egypt. How could you forget about Egypt, right? So what you have here are two models of what it means to preserve identity. Now, we've been talking about the uh, individual identity, but this is the national identity. The national identity is one where Benzoma says, you know what? You can make a psychic break. Who are the Jewish people? What are they known for? Oh, they're the people who used to be slaves and are no longer slaves, right? No longer. In the world to come, says Benzoma, they're not going to be known. Egypt is going to be irrelevant to their identity, right? That's the model where you break it all, okay? That's the, I'm arguing, the Sarai model. Not Sarai becomes Sarah. What are the Chachamim arguing? Chachamim are arguing, no, you misunderstand. It's not the central focus anymore, but it's not that it's gone. Avram is not the same as Abraham, but Avram is in Abraham, right? It doesn't go away. So yes, you'll be mentioning the most recent redemption, but you're not going to, to forget this core identity part of you. It always stays with you. So I think what, what you have here are two models of what it means to change. I think the fact that the Gemara used Sarah and Sarai as the model of the um, name-changing one is to say that Avram who Avraham is another model. Like Avram wasn't available to prove to us the name-changing one because only Sarai to Sarah is the real radical change. That's the one that illustrates that concept best. But Avram who Avraham is another model and both of them have legitimacy. Benzoma versus Chachamim. Both of them are debating this core question of how much of yourself do you bring to your new person? How much of that radical break involves dismissing the identity that you knew so well? How much of when you take on a new name, are you holding on to your old name or are you letting the whole thing go? Right? And that, I think, is a fundamental question that we're considering when we, uh, when we think about what it means to, um, to enter into the space and the mind frame of tshuva. What part of us do we want to hold on to and bring with us to the new self? Or do we want to just make that break and do a Sarai to Sarah um, exchange? Now, the, the last thing I wanted to say here is this very last midrash, which I think is unbelievable. Um, what happened to the Yud? Sarah, I understand that um, 
Sarai and Sarah are not the same. But what happened to that Yud in Sarai? This is the um, conservation of letters principle that you learned in physics. Sarai. One hand, plige ba tre amorai. There was a, a debate between two Amoraim. One said that it was divided in two. The He went to Avraham, and the He went to Sarah. What's the numerical value of Sarai, the Yud? Ten. Ten divided by two? Five and five. So you got one He here, one He here. That's very interesting, which is to say the essence of Sarai that is gone actually migrated to her husband. That's very, very intense. Okay? Um, and, but that's not the only opinion. This is unbelievable. It's great. Um, and the other one said, the Yud that was taken from Sarah cried out until Yoshua came along. And they added the Yud to his name. Because what was Yoshua's first original name? Hosea. Right? But he was called Yoshua. Right? So you have this unbelievable, I think it's unbelievable, which is to say this cutting against the notion of, you really even can't do this. You can't fully go from Sarai to Sarah. The part of you that you're giving up is like held in abeyance. Either it's going to go to the person you're in direct relationship with, and they either remember that or have some aspect of that in them, right? Sort of like the relationship model of change. Even if I wanted to become someone totally different, I can't because the other person here knows me and it's like being integrated with them, or this idea of generations to go. It doesn't go away. Generations down the line, it will find a home, and it will show up in a person you might least expect. And how much of what we have is some inheritance that we have from, um, from the people who preceded us, perhaps to their own model of change. So I offer this as some thoughts as we enter into the season of Chuba and Mar Chatimatokan.